Hello and welcome to season three of the Growth Adventure Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel. I am really excited today. I have a leader who has spent her career dedicating herself to providing mobility and access and opportunity to citizens coast to coast around the United States. In her own words, she is a leader who strives for success, but not to lose yourself and says, don't compromise who you are. You have to be able to look in the mirror at the end of the day and still like yourself. I am privileged to welcome the president and CEO of Indigo, which serves the 18th largest geographical transit system in the United States. Inez Evans, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Wow. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I really look forward to seeing where this conversation goes. Uh, not to pigeonhole ourselves, but we have a lot of kind of, you know, founders and operators of emerging companies to mid-sized companies here and don't often have the opportunity to sit down with somebody who leads a organization of over 800 colleagues. So look forward to uh, kind of hearing about your leadership style and kind of what, what you love and the challenges you face day to day. Great. Let's dive on in. All right. Well, let's maybe, if you wouldn't mind, let's just kind of start from the beginning. What got you into into public transit? I needed a job, Andrew. <laughs> I had just suffered a divorce. Unfortunately, my ex-husband at the time wasn't paying child support. And I lived in an area where you were either military or you worked for the transit agency. So I'm ex-military, couldn't go back in. So I went and got a job at the transit agency started out as a temporary employee and was able just to kind of learn how to do everything. I did try driving. That lasted maybe two to four hours and they had to peel my fingers off of the steering wheel because I was like, no, I, I'm going to hit something. I'm going to hit somebody. And I, I just, what, what made me think I could drive a bus? I don't even like driving my car. So, but it was the best paying job in the transit agency. So I was like, I'll give it a try. But what I found is I was good behind the scenes. And so just kind of became a jack of all trades and have just moved around throughout our great country. And here I stand today in Indianapolis. Well, I'm, I'm glad you kind of actually did a nice segue there, referencing that you've moved around different agencies around the country. So obviously you started as, uh, no offense, as a failed driver. Failed driver. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think uh, one thing that I, uh, probably most listeners don't understand is transit agencies come in all different size, shapes, and forms, right? The, at the end of the day, they are all some form, for the most part, some form of a public institution, but some are independent. Some are operated by a municipal entity. Some are privatized. So there are all sorts of different challenges and opportunities that each of those systems present. I, I guess I would be curious, one, I, just from a technical standpoint, and then we'll get into kind of your leadership development. What are some of the different things that you learned about people and organizations as you moved around the country and saw kind of different ways these transit agencies are organized? You know, it's it's really funny because it really depends on what part of the country I'm in. You know, how we operate on the East Coast is one thing and the central area, the South is totally different. Like it's acceptable. So you learn in ethics training or in sexual harassment training, rather, not to say things like you all and y'all and things like that. But in the South, that's how they talk. So you have to adjust sometimes your vernacular. In California, you know, you come from New York, you know, and it's 
busy, busy, rush, 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 rush. And then California was like, slow down. We've got time. And I'm looking like, we got a schedule to keep. Come on, let's get going. Let's get going. So, so it was, you know, do they have to rise to my speed or do I have to rise to their speed? And I think we were able to find a happy balance somewhere in, in the middle. But um, it really depends on where, where, where that transit agency is. The politics are different. How, you know, their board meetings can last till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, ours here go to one to two hours. City council goes a little bit longer. I think the themes of the community are different as well. You know, we're really pushing towards zero emission here. But in California, they're really pushing for zero emission. They are passing laws to prohibit, you know, diesel emission vehicles. They're setting deadlines. So it really depends on all of those factors. Regular listeners of the pod will know I get into the technical details. So I'm going to try to avoid that bait of electric vehicles because I could go deep on that one. But come on. No, 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 no. No, this is about you. you. This isn't about electrical vehicles. So my next question is, and this is kind of a, a two prong. So you said kind of in your intro of yourself that you grew up in a community where you were either military or you were public transit. And mm-hmm. both of those are service-based in different ways, but you know, you mm-hmm. you are serving other people. And I'd be curious, was did you immediately recognize that, or was that something that as you've built your career in public transit that you started seeing those overlaps more and more? Wow. It's funny that you you honed in on that. And and it's such a poignant question. So yes, joined the military when I was 17 years old. I come from a service family. My father, Army, career. My brother was Marine Corps, uncle, Air Force, you know, another brother who served in the Army. I mean, and, and I could just countless other uncles and, and things like that. And at one point in time, four of us were active duty at the same time. So come from a very service-orientated family. But when I got into transit, my initial premise was I needed a job. I didn't make the correlation of serving the community. And then when it turned into a career, absolutely the correlation of service, it just became so prevalent that we are affecting the lives of hundreds and thousands of people. I'm talking nationwide. And when you go nationwide, millions of people every day. What other entity does that? besides maybe the airlines when it comes to transportation, but besides radio and television get to have so many touch points, transportation does that daily. And to know that we are that conduit, that without us, folks couldn't get to school, couldn't get to work, doctor's appointments, grocery stores. Uh, It just... It's warm and fuzzy every day to know that, you know, we've had a positive impact on our community. And it's probably also the classic utility that everybody takes for granted until it's not there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Think about, you know, I grew up in New York City, you know, so I became a transit girl when I was five years old, never knowing that one day I would actually be running a transit system. And I remember the transit strikes. Uh, when I was a kid, I was about 12 or 13 years old when the transit strikes happened and I had to go to work. You know, I was working on the weekends and 
I had to break out my, my bicycle and actually go from the Upper East Side to downtown on the bicycle. Yeah, you miss transit. <laughs> you definitely miss transit. Well, kind of going back to the start of your transit career, what was your first opportunity for a leadership role? So I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked for a great organization on the private side called Dave Transportation. And they, I was a customer service representative, then turned into a manager and, you know, kind of met one of the owners, didn't even know he was an owner. Bob Wilson, one of my great mentors, he's um, no longer with us, but happened to just look at the listing of transit agencies that they had under contract. They had over 200. And I just asked because I said, how many women do you have in leadership positions? You have over 200 agent, you know, agencies that you're running. How many are in leadership positions? And so about that time, there were about 25. And I said, okay, that's great. How many look like me? And there was one, one person out of 200 locations that was female and African-American. And I began to have that conversation with him as to why. Are we not qualified? Do you not seek us out? That kind of stuff. He said he never had he never had looked at it through that lens. And the next thing I knew about, I think it was about four or five months later, I was a general manager of my first division, you know, 25 buses. But hey, <laughs> I had arrived and the rest has been history since then. That one conversation, you know, was the springboard to my career. All right. There's so much I can do with that last comment. But I first, I just have to tip my cap to you speaking up. But I would just be curious because you were early in your career based on what you've been saying. And you were talking yep. to the boss, air quotes. He's He was an owner, but he didn't present himself as an owner. He rolled up his sleeves. He came in in jeans. That's why I'm like, I didn't know. He was training me and teaching me. And then one day, some, my, my boss said, you do know he's one of the partners, one of the owners of the company. I was like, what? <laughs> so, so, like, so two-part question on that. So I guess one, it sounds like in your own leadership style that you advocate people speaking up for themselves. And I guess- absolutely. The, the follow-on would be, if you had known who he was, would you still have said the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> it's within my DNA. But what I did gain from him was what I consider to be part of my leadership style, that he was just one of the people, that he he didn't present himself as, I'm the boss, bow to me, you know, pave the way when I walk down the hallway. He was like, I'm just Bob. You know, that's the way he introduced himself. Like I said, he came in in jeans. He he rolled up his sleeves. And so he gave me that first taste of that's the leadership style. You know, that's the kind of leader I want to be. One that doesn't sit up on a high horse and thinks you're better, you know, than anyone else. But you are amongst the folks. You're just one of the cogs on the wheel that are making it happen. So it sounds like while you referenced him as you know, one of, one of your primary mentors in your career, 
it sounds like he also learned a fair amount from you. I think so. I think so, because I will say that the visuals at the company annual meeting looked a lot different after that. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. And I'd, I'd be curious, kind of in that theme, as you've continued to progress in your career, and now basically you're in Bob's position, more or less, what have you learned mm-hmm. from, from the people that you support? Like, what are a couple of things that, that you went home and said, man, I hadn't thought about it that way? You know, I, I will tell you that there's so much, I, Andrew, I don't even know where to start. I learn things like I am not a big social media person. I don't, I don't really resonate to it, but I learned so much about the power of it from individuals. Like we have a gentleman, Ari, he joined our team. He is crushing it on social media, doing funny things. I learned from him that you can really promote this agency and really have people kind of engage. When I hear people walking around saying, who is doing your social media, Inez? Because they are crushing it. That's a learning opportunity for me. Just sitting down talking with my employees about their needs, wants, and desires, about their career paths, and that we didn't have certain conduits in place, that was a learning opportunity for us to put workforce development programs in place to start apprenticeship programs where some of them will have college credits for the first time in their lives and for some in their families. That resonates with me because I was the first person in my family to receive a degree. And and just doing things like this, my my chief of communicate public affairs, she's always pushing me because I'm like, oh, I want to do this. <laughs> I, I have those people behind the scenes as well that push See? me through. And I, and I enjoy every that, conversation right? I have. So, Exactly. But, you know, you learn that. I think what my chief public affairs officer has taught me that I do have something to say. I do have a voice. I do have a story to tell. I never saw it that way. I just see myself as just being Inez, you know, and I... Again, you know, they're like, you know, do you realize the power, you know, the importance of who you are in this time within Indianapolis and things like that? And I'm like, I'm just Inez. I'm just the, you know, I'm just holding down a job. And hearing it from them is a learning opportunity for me. Thank you. So I'd be, I would be curious to kind of go uh, to follow the theme of service. You know, when you're sitting down with your leadership team or when you're thinking about, you know, where is Indigo going next? In your mind, who who are you predominantly serving? Oh, goodness. The underserved, the, the voiceless, the individuals who I don't want, I don't like using the phrase that they don't have a choice, but the folks who select to use us is better for me. Our city you know, 70% of our population that we serve are individuals who make $35,000 or less. Having a car, for, for many of them, a reliable car is a luxury because you can go get a car, but is it a reliable car? And the expense that goes along with the ownership of that car, the gasoline, the insurance, the upkeep of that car, we're also here to serve those who have made a conscious decision for environmental factors to reduce their carbon emission. 
We're also here for those young individuals who go to school every single day, who have to make choices between buying books, you know, and, you know, getting to school. We're here for that, that senior individual who just loves to get on that bus every single day because that's her social interaction with the community. I, and I can just keep going, but that's who we serve. Every, those are the faces of Indigo. And I, I presume just based on our conversation thus far that those values and that mission-oriented theme is something that you were making sure your fellow colleagues believe. Absolutely. And it is what they believe. They hold me accountable to it. They hold our board accountable to it. You know, there's that saying, walk the walk that you talk. And they definitely exemplify it. I am so proud of the team that uh, was assembled here and is assembled now for Indigo because it's not just Inez moving that wheels, those wheels down the road, but it takes a tremendous, talented group of individuals who are passionate. And when I say passionate, we get transit geeky around here about it. It's kind of nerdy uh, when we're talking about buses and you know, lanes and, and, and changing, you know, the way we do systems and how does the Julian Carson Center need to look and what is our new hubs going to look like? And it's a little transit geeky. Well, and for the benefit of our listeners who are not in the central Indiana area, the Indianapolis metro area is over 2 million people. And from a square mileage standpoint, as I said earlier, it's the 18th largest metro area in the country and employment is spread all over the area. So the ability to move people in a city that right or wrong was built around the automobile from where yeah. they live to where they work is incredibly important. So I, I think what's funny, because you mentioned our service area, our service area is larger than Chicago. It's larger than Chicago. And I don't think people realize that, you know, how, how big of a sprawl that we have to manage through. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly impactful, the, the work that you were able to do with, with what you have. But following kind of on that, on the leadership, and I want to touch on family a little bit here. So you said at the top, you have four children. I have four sons. I'm so blessed. <laughs> so I, I, I now have two questions on that. So I would imagine, you know, based on your family's engagement and historical commitment to military service, that moving around isn't something that's new. So I guess as you have grown in your career and moved around the country. How have you viewed that through your, your son's eyes? You know, they were, because they were military kids, you learn just to pack your, your gear. It's just time to move on to the next duty station, stay silent and just move on. I didn't recognize it until they were older and we finally had this fireside chat as adults. They hated it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely hated it. They didn't hate me, but they hated the fact that we, because for a while there, we were only in a duty station for maybe a year, year and a half. They spent a year in the school. You know, we were fortunate that they didn't have to move during the school year. So the timing was just right. We moved right at the end and they were able to start, but they felt they could never have, you know, they couldn't form relationships and friendships. You know, they noticed that we never put pictures on the walls. We never bought plants because we were temporary. We were like nomads. But the one thing they said they did appreciate is the fact that they got to meet 
so many people from all different backgrounds across this great country. And that was the piece that they, they relish from it, but they don't move anymore. They're like, we, they did enough moving as kids. They're not moving anymore. So they're sprinkled all over the United States. When they started dropping off, they're like, okay, I'm not moving anymore, mom. You can go. We're going (laughs) to stay here. (laughs) The second question on that is, did you do anything consciously with them as a, as a successful woman, as you said earlier, in an industry that not many people look like you? Did you impart anything explicitly or did your example implicitly give them lessons about gender equality? Wow. I I know we've had definite conversations about it. You know, they know that I am one of eight African-American women running a transit system in the country today out of 4,500. And when we started, because, you know, I was WTS Woman of the Year. I, I would, you stole so, my thunder. I was going to bring that up. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, but it, 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 it revolves around that whole conversation, you know, and they were like, well, mom, how does that come about? And, you know, and things of that nature. And so when I start walking them through, you know, again, reminding them of my journey through transit and that where I stand today on the podium of eight, and they were just shocked that, you know... there were only eight women of color, African-Americans who are running transit systems today. And it's just sparked a whole conversation as to why, but they bring up memories about, you know, because I hired them when I was on the private side, it was a little different. I can't hire you on the public side, but on the private side, they all started washing buses when they were like five and six years old. Don't get me for child labor laws. It was instilling (laughs) discipline (laughs) in my children, but you know, those were the kind of things. And then I got my degree. I worked, I worked full time. I went to school during the night and on the weekends. And because I'm trying to push them to get their degree. And one of them said to me, well, you don't have one and you make good money. So why do I have to get it? So I was like, oh, okay. So I turned it around and I said, okay, now I have my master's and now an honorary doctorate. What you going to do? So that's, that's how we roll. <laughs> I love it. So since you humble bragged, I had planned on telling listeners. So Inez uh, was awarded the International Woman of the Year Award uh, just this past year in May of 2022 by the Women's Transportation Seminar. So congratulations. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right. So before we, uh, we pivot to the lightning round, I've got a couple other follow-on questions that more are about geography as well as the system. So okay. from a geographical standpoint, so you've lived all over the country. Yes. You, you describe yourself as a Texan. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you to say that you love central Indiana's weather, but what's one thing that surprised you the most about central Indiana? The people. I think the, the one thing that, because when I w- was in San Jose, California, and I came here for the interview, I remember walking through downtown and people were smiling, nodding their heads, acknowledging my presence. And they would speak, and they were just so gracious. I, I love the fact that downtown was so immaculate clean. But the people are just so nice. Um, not that the folks in California are not. It's just usually when you go inside your house in California, people shut their doors. You don't see them anymore until they're you know, back in their cars out to go to work the next day. 
But when I moved in, people were bringing me welcome baskets, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. And I was like, whoa, it, it took me aback for a minute. So that Hoosier spirit is alive and well in Indiana. And, and of course, it's all about basketball here. I mean, you know, so you're, you're trying to convert me to be a Pacers fan. So I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, what is it? In 49 states, uh, it's just basketball. And then it's Indiana. So. It's just basketball. One of my favorite movies was that Hoosier movie. So ah, I, I would watch that all the time. So, hey. <laughs> all right. So, uh, but again, before we get to the lightning round, I, I am curious I know you do in January a state of Indigo, so I'm not going to ask you to go into that full spiel. But what what do you see as the biggest opportunity for Indigo over the next five years? Just continued growth. You know, we have an opportunity to branch out into other areas that are underserved with different products. Uh, We've been trying them out in different areas. And now it's about really honing in on those products very well and to seeing what's the best fit. So for us, it's about right sizing. You know, what's the right size vehicle? What's the right size hours of service to provide? But growth, it is all about growth for us. You know, we're building a brand new operations facility out on the east side. We were able and blessed to be get, you know, $33 million from the federal government to help build that. So we can't continue to provide more. We're out of space. You know, they don't make levitating buses. Um, this ain't the Jetsons. So we've got to be able to park them somewhere. We don't do park outs at people's houses. But if you see a bus parked in front of somebody's house, please call me and let me know because that ain't we don't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's those kind of things. So it's about growth. I would say the second thing is, you know, we really have been pushing our Indigo's Cares program, wellness and transit. You know, we're looking at a full redesign of the Julia M. Carson Center downtown to be able to have more of that as a permanency and not just these one-off check-ins. Because so many of the residents of Indianapolis come to the downtown area. We want to kind of be that central hub where people can get services. Thank you. You are welcome to use this anytime you talk to the city county council, but we will be moving to a new building in March of 23. And one of our criteria was we needed proximity to transit. So we have been blessed that we have yes. a red, we have a red line stop out in front of us currently, and we will have a red line stop at our next, next office. And that was explicitly, we needed to make sure that all of our colleagues could have access to the office and not just people with cars. So that is fabulous. We, we, we love that. And you know, we've had some really good support from the city, uh, the city council to have a transit orientated development policy that's been put in place and supported by the city to protect the tremendous investment that transit is is putting forth. You know, we, we don't have anything against storage units and gas stations. We just don't want them on a hundred million dollar investment line. That's all. You and I both. All right. <laughs> So we are going to pivot now to the lightning round. So I will ask you four questions. There are no wrong answers, only long answers. So uh, first question, Inez Evans, what would we find on either your car radio or since you said you don't like driving on your uh, earbuds? Oh, my God. Right now, at this point in time, you would find Christmas music on steroids. (laughs) Boys to Men is probably my favorite Christmas CD, and I have been 
just wearing. Thank God for our Apple Music because if it was if it was one of those old cassette tapes, it would be worn out right now. So. <laughs> okay, well, you just doubly dated yourself by saying cassette tape and Boyz II Men in the same sentence. Exactly. Oh, I could go back to eight track. Remember those times? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, second question is: What would we find on your bedside table or e-reader? Oh my goodness! On my e-reader, the Bible, and on my bedside table i keep lavender spray <laughs> to be able to spray my pillow so i can start to decompress <laughs> that's a good that's a good self-help tip there thank you all right so exactly. third, third, third question again no no wrong answers cats or dogs dogs i have two beautiful little crazy nut dogs that are supposed to be uh, like golden doodles, but they're more poodle than doodle. <laughs> and they're like polar opposites. One's black, one's white, Travis and Austin, both Texas names. Uh, yeah, I was going to give that and shout out. Exactly. Austin's the little teeny one, but he is the one who is the dominant over Travis. And Travis is the hyper. Austin is the, you know, subdued. And I'm just like, can I spray y'all with some lavender to get you to calm the heck down sometimes? So, but that ain't working yet. <laughs> uh, well, maybe it's like catnip and you just don't realize it, but. I know, I know. But cats are cool. I just had a cat. I didn't know, you know, when I was young, I sat in the cat's spot. And so I was traumatized because he leaped on my head. And so I'm like, mm, I'm, a, I'm a dog person. Sorry. <laughs> Like I said, no wrong answers. All right. Exactly. So last question, last question is a bit more serious. And there, again, okay. there's no, no right or wrong answer. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Be yourself. You know, it, it just kind of goes to never forget where you came from, no matter how far you're going. You know, be humble, reflect. And that sticks with me constantly, even to this day. You know, don't let the title define you. You've got to reflect in that mirror every single day. Be proud of what you're doing. I know I gave you more than one, but that is just the basic philosophy of life. Just be yourself, you know, and hopefully yourself is a nice person. Because if you're not nice, I want you to change that. But <laughs> if you, if, as you're graduating into leadership roles, you know, I would hope that folks would treat individuals the way they've always wanted to be treated. You know, if you've had a boss that didn't gravitate, that you didn't gravitate to and said, I, if I were them, I would do this. Remember those things. But I want you to also remember those things that you didn't like. So you don't emulate those things. Well, thank you. Unfortunately, we're, we're up against it. We could talk. I, I, Selfishly, I could talk for a long time here, but it, you, you've got thousands of customers to serve. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. But Inez Evans, president and CEO of Indigo, it has been a privilege and a pleasure to speak with you. I know I have taken a lot from this conversation and Central Indiana is better for having you as a part of our community and keep on developing that next generation of leaders. Thank you. And I wish you the best. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here today.